Welcome to the podcast for Sunday, April 17th, 2016. May God use this as a blessing to you today. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I'm actually, believe it or not, old enough to have had listened to Paul Harvey and his radio program, The Rest of the Story. Now, in case you're unfamiliar, Paul Harvey would begin telling this captivating short story. And he would really draw the listeners in. It'd be something that'd be very interesting, and you'd be excited to know where it's going. And at the very end, there would be this twist. Sometimes the twist pertained to who the story was about. You'd never believe it was that person. Or sometimes they'd tell you something about the story that you never saw coming. And then he would say, and now you know the rest of the story. Well, this, what I'm about to tell you, is one of his rest of the story. But since I'm doing a series on Disney, it kind of, you wouldn't be guessing who it was about, right? You would know. This is a story from Walt Disney's youth, but it's story worth retelling. Before he was five, Walt's parents moved from Chicago to a farm near Marceline, Missouri. And it was on that farm where he would have his first encounter with death. He was seven years old. It was a summer afternoon. As he was tending to the chores in the family's apple orchard, he saw on a low drooping branch uh, an owl that was apparently sound asleep. Now, he remembered his father telling him that owls sleep during the day so they can hunt at night. And he thought, what a wonderful pet this funny little bird would make if only he could get close enough to catch it without it waking up. So he tiptoed and inched his way, trying not to make a sound with the leaves and his feet, and he he got just within arm's reach when he grabbed the bird by the legs and couldn't believe that he had captured an owl. And then the owl woke up quite suddenly and came alive like no other animal Walter had ever seen. It was a flurry of beating wings and wild eyes and all kinds of frightened cries and screeches, and it was struggling against the boy's grasp, and Walter, stunned, just held on as strong as he could. Now, it's difficult to imagine how what happened next actually happened. But at some point, the terrified boy, still clinging to the terrified bird, flung it to the ground and stomped it to death. When it was over, a disbelieving Walter gazed at the broken heap of bronze feathers and blood on the ground, and he started crying. He ran for the orchard, uh, later returned to bury the owl, this little pet that he never had a chance to know. Each shovelful of earth from the shallow grave was moistened with tears of deep regret. And for months thereafter, the owl visited Walt in his dreams. Ashamed, he would tell no one about this story until very, very many years later. And by then, the world had already forgiven him. Walter never, ever again killed a living creature. Through the death of this innocent owl, a whole world of animals came into being. A grieving seven-year-old boy attempted to atone for a thoughtless misdeed, and he sought to possess the animals of the forest while still allowing them to roam free by drawing them. And so began Walt Disney's artistic career. 
You know, it's interesting to look for owl imagery in the early Disney films, including what we looked at last week, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. It's kind of hard to see, but this is the stairway inside the dwarf's cottage, and each end of the stair is a, a carved owl. You can find owls all throughout Walt's early films. Welcome to the second week in our sermon series, Faith in Disney. And over the course of five weeks, we are looking for themes of faith found within the bonds of five animated films by Walt Disney Studios. Last week was Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Uh, The one that started it all, and it was starting our series as well. Uh, This week, it's the beloved tale of Dumbo. How many used to watch The Wonderful World of Disney on TV, right? Sunday nights, yep. The series officially premiered on ABC Network in October 1954, Does anybody remember what it was originally called? It was called Walt Disney's Disneyland. A year later, the actual Disneyland theme park opened here in Southern California. They're now in in the process of celebrating their 60th anniversary. And then in 1958, the television show was renamed Walt Disney Presents. Wouldn't it be great to hear about the movie Dumbo from the mouth of Walt Disney himself? Well, that's exactly what we get to do this morning, thanks to the gift of video and YouTube. Uh, As you'll be able to tell, this was filmed when the show had its original name, Disneyland. Let's watch. Walt Disney's Disneyland, the story of Dumbo. Now, here is your host, Walt Disney. From time to time, people ask me, Which is the favorite of all the pictures that we've made? Well, it's the one that you're going to see right now on this program. The story of the little elephant with the big ears, Dumbo. From the very start, Dumbo was a happy picture. It really started from a very simple idea and like Topsy, just grew. We weren't restricted by any set storyline, so we could give our imaginations full play. In other words, if a good idea came to us, we put it in the story. It was really a happy picture from the very beginning to the end. As our story begins, we discover Mr. Stork on his way to the winter quarters of the circus with a package for a certain Mrs. Jumbo. At a mere 64 minutes, Dumbo is the shortest-running Disney feature film, and it was also the least expensive to make. It opened on October 23, 1941, and it was the fourth full-length film by Disney Pictures. After Snow White, the company released both Pinocchio and Fantasia, both in 1940. Pinocchio cost $2.5 million to make, Fantasia $2.3 million to make, so Dumbo really was a bargain at only $813,000. And to top things off, it was a huge success. Dumbo grossed more than $2.5 million in its initial release, and that was more than both Pinocchio and Fantasia combined. In December of 1941, Time magazine planned to have Dumbo on its cover to commemorate a success, but a little event known as the attack on Pearl Harbor happened to take place, and that drew a little bit more focus. Maybe part of what's so endearing about Dumbo is its simple plot. It's a story of personal struggle, despair, but ultimately hope. It's a message that this nation surely needed standing on the brink of World War II. Now, as Walt said just a few minutes ago, uh, it all begins with the arrival of the storks to the circus. 
Many of the circus animals lovingly embraced their new bundles of joy that were delivered via stork. And um, in case you didn't know, young people, prior to 1970, all babies came via stork. Yeah. The only expected mother that didn't receive her gift was Mrs. Jumbo the Elephant. So the next day, uh, Casey Jr., the circus train, is packed up. It's loaded, and it's off to the next circus destination. And we also get to meet another stork who seems a little behind in his delivery schedule. When the circus is en route, he brings his package to a very excited Mrs. Jumbo. And all of the other elephants are so impressed with Jumbo Jr., well, at least at the start, until they get a load of his... E-A-R-S. Let's watch. And as cute as this final uh, cuddling moment was, the rest of the scene makes you want to think very unchristian thoughts about those elephants, right? My goodness. Which leads me to the first faith point that seems to jump out of the film, and that is that God made each of us unique. Philip Longfellow Anderson, in his book, The Gospel of Disney, puts it this way. None of us is born to be exactly like the rest of us. Each person is a unique package of abilities and disabilities, with no two people or packages being exactly alike. Dumbo was an elephant, sure, and elephants have big ears, I'll give you that, but his ears were exceptionally large, don't you think? And yet, that's the way Dumbo was created. Our Bible story for today deals with the very same theme, the uniqueness of each of us. Open me with, uh, with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, beginning on verse 14. Now, normally, this isn't a passage you would think when it comes to God creating us each different and unique, but I'm going to invite you to, to work with me on this. Jesus has been teaching the disciples about the kingdom of heaven and how it's often quite surprising and unexpected, and then he continues with this. For it is this, as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves... And entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. Now, in our parable this morning, there are no two servants that are alike either. There's a five-talent servant, a two-talent servant, and a one-talent servant. Now, a little background on what a biblical talent was, which might help set, uh, set the stage for this story. It has nothing to do with one's musical ability, like Dathan has, or one's athletic prowess, like our softball team, or even the gift of quilting that my lovely wife has. It actually had everything to do with money. One talent was equivalent to approximately 6,000 denarii. Okay? One talent, 6,000 denarii. One denarii was the usual wage for a day's laborer. So then one talent is 6,000 days wages, which is close to 20 years of salary, which means the five-talent servant got 100 years wages, the two-talent servant 40 years, which is an entire lifetime of working, right? And the one-talent guy received 20 years of pay. So don't feel bad for Mr. One-talent guy. He still got a huge pile of cash to work with. But the key comes at the end of verse 15. The master gave to each according to his or her ability. Nobody said that God treats everyone the same. Some seem to have to handle a little bit more, others a little bit less. I believe that God knows what each of us can or cannot handle with God's help. 
There's that expression, God never gives you more than you can handle. I think that's not true. God never gives you more than you and God can handle together. But let us not forget, even the one-talent servant has been given a great gift. See, the problem with being uniquely created by God is that oftentimes others around us don't seem to cherish our uniqueness. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt like people just didn't understand or appreciate all that you had to offer, whether it's in school, at work, in relationships, whatever it may be? Back to our movie. In the scene that we just watched, the largeness of the elephants is matched only by the smallness of their souls. But it's not just them being mean. In the very next sight for the circus, some of the neighborhood boys begin to tease Dumbo and to make fun of his excessively big ears. Uh, look who's talking, right? When their taunting turns to physically harassing her baby, Mrs. Jumbo takes matters into her own trunk, so to speak. And soon a riot breaks out under the big top. The roustabouts and the circus hands have to physically restrain Mrs. Jumbo, and then she's locked away in solitary confinement, away from the rest of the elephants and away from her newborn baby. Our hearts break for this female elephant who is only trying to protect her son. It's at this point in the film that we get to meet one of the more memorable characters in the movie, Timothy Mouse. Timothy happens to be munching on a snack of leftover peanuts when the older female elephants begin their daily gossiping sessions, and they blame Mrs. Jumbo's predicament on you-know-who. Well, at least Dumbo has someone sticking up for him now, right? Timothy Mouse scares the rude older elephants. Remember in, in animated circles, mice and elephants are natural enemies. I did never quite figure out how that worked, but anyway... But then he befriends Dumbo. Timothy becomes Dumbo's father figure and mentor, advisor and conscience, and eventually he's even his personal manager. The two of them become inseparable. And Timothy's plan is to make Dumbo a circus star. After whispering in the ringmaster's ear while he was sleeping, Timothy gets Dumbo his first big gig, and that's to be atop the pyramid of pachyderms. All he's got to do is run down a ramp, jump off a springboard, and land on the top of six elephants stacked on top of that ball. What could be harder, right? Uh, you can imagine how scared Dumbo was. Uh, so Timothy tied up his ears in preparation. He'd been tripping on them all throughout the movie. But as Dumbo ran down the rampway, his ears came untied, he tripped once again, and he slammed right into the, to the pyramid of, of elephants. Chaos and pandemonium ensues, the elephants come crashing down, the whole tent gets destroyed, and in the days that follow, Dumbo is forced to work with the circus clowns. The older elephants vow that he is no longer fit to be an elephant, he is an embarrassment, and they shun him. The clowns put Dumbo on the top of a 20-story building. They light the building on fire and then proceed to douse everything except the building with water. The crowd loves it. It's a huge success, but Dumbo is the brunt of all of their jokes. And cruelty becomes commonplace for our little hero. In our story from Matthew 25, time passes, and the first two servants end up doubling their master's money. And when the master returns... 
Servant 1 and Servant 2 give account of the talents that they have doubled, and both are greeted with this same response. Verse 25, chapter 25, verse 21. Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The same response is given to both. The, the old, the, the, the servant that was given five talents that double it doesn't get twice as many uh, kudos by the master. The same exact words are spoken to both. Which tells me it's not really about the money or even the amount of money that they made. This is about servants being faithful and trustworthy. Robert Farr Capon says it's about faith in action. It's about the servants being faithful and not simply about making money. See, the third servant, his problem was he took no faith in action. He's not really focused on his job, which is serving the master. He's only focused on himself and his personal security. He's worried about getting in trouble for mishandling the money. There's no amount of gratitude that he's been given such a a tremendous gift to use. And he wastes an opportunity to make a difference with what he's been given. Instead, he just buries the master's money in the ground. Verse 26. But his master replied, you wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and I gathered where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And on my return, I would at least receive what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten talents. For to all who have, more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. It sounds harsh. But this servant's job was to serve his master, not himself. And the scolding that he received really had nothing to do with money and everything having to do with squandering an opportunity that was before him. Do anything. It doesn't matter. Just do something. Don't don't waste the talent. Don't bury it in the ground. Because even a single talent is a huge gift from the master. In the movie Dumbo, a very unlikely turn of events propels uh, Dumbo into begin using his talents. Now, remember how successful the clown's routine was with Dumbo as the brunt of their jokes? Well, later that night, they're all getting together and having a party and planning how they could make the next routine even better. Well, as you can see, alcohol is flowing freely. Some even gets knocked into the, to the uh, a barrel of nearby water. And guess who happened to go and drink? from that same barrel. Dumbo and Timothy. Kids, don't try this at home. And then what follows is Walt Disney's foray into the psychedelic, the infamous pink elephants on parade dream sequence, which freaked me out as a kid. I could not get into it. Uh, Anyway, the very next morning, Timothy and Dumbo unexpectedly find themselves up a tree. I mean, quite literally, they are up a tree. And that's where we're greeted. They're greeted by a very uh, rambunctious and talkative collection of crows. Timothy can't figure out how they got up into the tree in the first place. And then he suggests in the conversation that, well, maybe they flew up there. Of course, the crows think this is hilarious. They break out into song and laughter. And when the song is over, that's when Timothy's had enough. And suddenly, the birds have a change of heart. They know what it's like to be an outcast. And so they give Dumbo a gift. 
a magic feather. A talisman, if you will, a a tool that will help Dumbo realize that he can use his ears as a gift. As Timothy puts it, your ears, they're the perfect wings. The very things that held you down are going to carry you up and up and up. It's one of my favorite lines in the entire movie. Which brings us to the next point in our film, that God may use our insecurities to bring a blessing. Some of the very things that make us feel inferior may be the gifts and talents that God uses to bring a blessing to us or others. Dumbo would have never believed that his ears would become a source of pride and power for him. But through Timothy's encouragement and a little help from the magic feather, Dumbo started soaring above the clouds and suddenly they were ready to go back to the big top. Let's watch. Friends, no person that God has created is insignificant, and neither are any of the gifts that God has given us. And some of you may be thinking, well, Pastor Jim, you don't know me. I I really, no talent at all. I don't have anything that I'm good at. Well, I would beg to differ. Think of talents in, in a lot of different ways. We all have been blessed by God with characteristics and attributes that are used for the kingdom. So maybe it's not something that you would sell tickets for people to come and watch to. But we each have things that God has given us that we can use for his kingdom. Even our one-talent servant in the story had a huge sum that he was given, remember? 20 years' salary. See, Jesus uses the term talents as a metaphor to mean so much more than money or even things that you're good at. Each of us has been blessed by God. The challenge is to figure out how we can use what we're good at for the kingdom. Nick Vujicic is a man who was born with no arms and no legs. You can find out about his amazing ministry at lifewithoutlimbs.org. In 2008, we had the privilege of meeting him in person at the Hawaiian Islands Ministries Conference in Honolulu. That's my daughter, Emily, in the front in the blue striped shirt. She was 10 at the time. She's 18 now. And despite being born with no arms and no legs, Nick has an incredible testimony of how God has helped him become a blessing and an encouragement to so, so many all over the world. Believe me when I tell you that everyone has been given talents and blessings by God to be used for the kingdom. In 1 Peter 4.10, it says this, Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. My brothers and sisters in Christ, God is ready to surprise us by using our uniquenesses to make a contribution to the world around us. As long as we're not afraid to use our talents like the third servant was in our story. No matter how limited we may think we are, God has plans for each one of us. And far be it from us to stand in the way with what God wants to do, right? How does the story of Dumbo end? Listen to the original ending of the story that inspired it all. Of course, Timothy signed up Dumbo to a good, fat contract on his own terms. One of the main stipulations of which was that Dumbo's mother would be free to roam where she pleased and would not have to do any more of the heavy circus work and would have her own private stall with hot and cold running water. And though at first she was awfully nervous and would give a little start whenever Timothy was around, she soon got used to his presence and learned that all of her fears of him and his kind were baseless, that he really was a cute little fellow and to a certain extent responsible for Dumbo's success. 
Her greatest treasure was a gold-framed photograph of Dumbo and Timothy flying around the Statue of Liberty. And as for the other elephants, they could be seen almost any time they were at leisure, earnestly flapping their ears and giving little awkward hops or jumping off of things, but in vain. For there never was and never would be but one elephant that could fly like our very own little Dumbo. Amen to that. And thanks be to God for the opportunity we have to use our gifts and talents for the kingdom, each and every one of us, servants of the Most High God. Amen.